Last week, we began our journey through the book of Nehemiah. It's one of those books of the Bible that's great to read as a whole narrative. And I'd encourage you, uh, if you can, spare an hour or so over the next week to do so. But before we delve into chapter two this morning, which Catherine has just read for us, uh, I thought it'd be good to have a quick recap of what Dave shared last week of chapter one. It's 445 BC, and Nehemiah is in exile in Susa in Persia. He's heard from his brothers that Jerusalem is in a mess. Uh, The walls and the gates of the city are in ruins, uh, leaving the people in Jerusalem, his people, defenseless and vulnerable to attack. Even though Nehemiah has never actually lived in Jerusalem, this is still his homeland the land that God gave his ancestors, the Jewish people. And he is broken and he's grief-stricken by what he's heard. And his response to the news is firstly to just mourn and weep before God for all that is lost and broken and destroyed. And then he launches into this prayer, which makes up most of chapter one. And it's a prayer that is, is honest, it's hope-filled, it's persistent, it's empathetic. And it flows from what Nehemiah knows of God. And then between chapters one and two, Nehemiah enters into a time of waiting where nothing much happens. I guess a lot of us might feel that our lives in some way are mirroring that experience of Nehemiah at the moment. There seems to be always bad news. The January lockdown feels rough and everything feels grim. On Wednesday, as I wrote this, the UK recorded the highest daily number of deaths from COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. Who would have thought we'd be getting that news now, last April? It feels like we've lost so much in the last year. We might have mourned and we might have prayed and longed for things to change. But there is also hope because the vaccine is being rolled out all over the place. And so now we find ourselves in this odd time of waiting, waiting for the promised change to actually happen. It's like we're in some liminal space where something is happening. There is hope. There is hope that all this will end. But we don't have a clue when we'll actually get there. And so we just have to keep trying to move forward. But it's hard for us, isn't it, to imagine beyond our present difficulty, beyond our present situation. But God is still here. In the words of Nehemiah in chapter one, he is still the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. And so at the beginning of chapter two, we find that four months have passed since Nehemiah heard the news about the state that Jerusalem's in. It's now the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah has continued to pray earnestly, to bring the burden of his heart to to his Lord. And he waits and he cries out. Maybe he was getting frustrated during those four months, that God didn't seem to be doing anything. Maybe he was wondering when on earth God would open the door for him. Maybe he was wondering if God had left him. But what is striking for me is that somewhere along the way, during those four months, Nehemiah realizes that he has a role to play, that he is going to be part of the answer to his prayer. 
during those four months of waiting, being in the now and waiting for the not yet, he also gets on and lives his life. He will have been turning up to work every day, not speaking of or showing that grief, that burden that he's carrying. He just turns up and does his job of cupbearer to the king. And it was a hugely important role, especially bearing in mind that King Artaxerxes is the most powerful person in the known world at the time. The cupbearer's job was to take the first sip of wine from the king's cup to ensure that that wine wasn't poisoned. Not a job for the faint-hearted. Every day, he's putting his life on the line for the king. And maybe because of all that, he's earned the respect and the trust of the king. Being the cupbearer to the king also meant too that he would have spent a huge amount of time in the king's presence and was most likely one of the king's closest companions and confidants. And Nehemiah knows that the king's attitude towards him, this favor that he'll have earned over time, will be key to God opening the door for him to do something about the situation in Jerusalem. And then one day, after all this praying, all this waiting, all this wanting the situation to change, God opens the door for Nehemiah to step through. Time and again in my life, I've been in situations where I've wanted something to change and I've decided what that change needs to be, what it needs to look like. And then I've asked God to make that change that I've decided happen. I basically say, right, God, this is what I think needs to happen. Now you do it or you bless it. What Nehemiah's experience shows us is that what actually we need to do is yes, bring all our feelings, our situations, our desires before God. We need to be persistent in prayer and seek him and say, yes, God, this is what I want. But also say, your will be done. And then like Nehemiah, to also be prepared to be the answer, the solution to the problem. And then this is the really hard bit, to then wait patiently for God's timing, for God to open the door and then be courageous enough to step through when that door is opened. So verses one and two of chapter two, the king notices that on this particular day, uh, Nehemiah is looking downcast, is looking sad. And it's worth noting, noticing that it's uh, forbidden. It was actually forbidden at these times to be sad in the presence of the king a crime that actually could be punished by death. But instead of King Artaxerxes being angry with Nehemiah, he responds with compassion and concern for this person he knows so well. He says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This cannot, can be nothing but sadness of the heart. This is the moment. This is the moment that Nehemiah has been waiting for, he's been hoping for, he's been praying for. God has opened the door for him and he has to actually step through it and bring the solution to his own prayer into action. And so he steps in and he explains to the king the ruined state of, of Jerusalem. And the king simply asks, what is it that you want? What is it that you want, Nehemiah? This is an incredible moment where everything just comes together. 
Nehemiah has found favor with the king. The king trusts Nehemiah. God has answered Nehemiah's prayer of chapter one and he softened the king's heart. And the most powerful man in the world asks his cupbearer, what is it that you want? The four months of waiting and praying means that Nehemiah has listened carefully and he's planned strategically. And he's confident when that moment comes that he know what, knows what God wants him to do. But because he is in a constant conversation, it seems, with his heavenly father, he prays quickly, probably something along the lines of, right, God, this is it. This is the moment. Help me say the right thing. What is it that you want? The king asks. And then Nehemiah launches in. He takes this God-given opportunity and steps right through that door. Verse four, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then he goes on. This is the moment he's been praying for and he just goes for it with confidence and courage. And, and I'm going to need some letters as well to the government, governors so that I can travel safely to Judah. And I'm going to need a letter to the keeper of the royal park. He's called Asaph, in case you don't know, to get timber to make the beams for the gates and, and the beams for my house and for the gates near the temple. Nehemiah hasn't just sat back waiting for four months for somebody else to come up with the answer to his prayer over the destruction of Jerusalem. His strategic thinking and consistent relationship with God, powered by prayer, means that when that door was opened by the king, Nehemiah steps forward with confidence, ready to ask for what he needs, ready to be the answer to the prayer. And as he puts it in verse eight, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. What an incredible lesson this is to all of us of how when we live our lives closely with Jesus, when we seek after his heart, we're given the confidence to recognize when God opens the door for us and then the courage to step through. I remember when we were trying to work out if God was calling us to leave our lives uh, down south and move up here to P's and G's. It took weeks of waiting and praying and listening and seeking God. And we eventually got to the point where it felt like God had well and truly opened that door for us. But we were sort of still waiting for something to happen. Maybe a big audible voice from heaven saying, go to Edinburgh or something. And at that point, it was up to us to just step through with confidence and courage, trusting God, simply based on the fact that we know the God who saved us through Jesus. And we know that that God is good and he loves us and he's never let us down and he's called us to be part of his story. Where might you need to be praying, waiting for God to open a door for you? And where might you actually need to step through that open door with courage and confidence, trusting in the truth of who you know God is? And I love the way that God reveals to Nehemiah what could be for the city of Jerusalem. He takes Nehemiah, doesn't he, beyond his present role as cupbearer to the king, beyond his present world of a palace in Persia, beyond his present experience 
in Susa. And he reveals to him what could be for, for a place that he's never been before, Jerusalem. God invites Nehemiah in to play his part in his big redemption plan that is eventually brought to fulfillment in Jesus. Through the whole story of the Bible, God reveals what is and what could be to different people at different times. People like Moses and Joshua, like Esther and Isaiah, like Peter and Lydia and Paul. He gives them a glimpse of the now, but also the not yet. And he invites them to be part of his redemption story. Some of us today may be finding it difficult to imagine beyond our present situation. To what on earth the future might look like for us. Exams are cancelled, we might not have work, or our work might be more challenging than ever, or has changed radically. We might be wondering when on earth we're going to see our family or friends again. And it's in these moments we need to dig deep into our relationship with God like Nehemiah did. But also know that because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the resurrection, we can, in the words of Hebrews, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're able to approach his throne confidently and, and spend that time with him in prayer, in reading our Bibles, in worshipping him, in talking to him and listening to him, in getting to know his heart, his character, his purposes. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit may open our eyes to see what he is doing in the present and enable us to imagine beyond the now, to reveal to us how he wants us to be part of his big redemption story, to perhaps even be an answer to our own prayer, maybe for ourselves, but also for our communities, for Edinburgh, for our church. How in this difficult and odd time of waiting, can we ask the Spirit to open our eyes, to expand our imagination of what could be, to be ready, like Nehemiah, to be part of the future, the, re the rebuilding, the bringing in of God's redemption purposes? Let's pray. Father God, we bring ourselves to you this morning and we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit that you would open our eyes to see what you're doing in the world, that you would help us where we need to be courageous to trust in you. For those of us who are perhaps just banging at your door at the moment and asking you to change the situation that we're in, to change something in our lives, help us to trust in you more than ever. Help us to not give up, but be persistent in prayer like Nehemiah was. To keep waiting on you and seeking after you. Lord, reveal your plans and purposes to us. And Lord, when we find that open door, whatever that might look like for us, help us to be confident in just stepping through with real courage maybe like Nehemiah, not knowing exactly uh, where you're going to take us, but knowing that we can trust in you, that your grace is sufficient, that you love us, that you sent Jesus for each one of us. 
Help us all to be ready to listen to where we can join in with the future of this church, our city, this land. In Jesus' name, amen.